0: I think we'll maybe just come into the chapter, but verse verse 44 will be our main uh, consideration. Verse 44 of Acts chapter 7. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. And uh, just the previous verse, is a quotation from the Old Testament, other sad verse. Yea, he took up the tabernacle of Mola, and the star of your God, Renfan, figures which he made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. <clears throat> and then verse 44, our fathers had the tabernacle in the wilderness. Uh, tabernacle of witness. That will be sufficient for reading. (coughs) I trust the Lord's blessing upon his word. There's a very beautiful little expression that we find in the prophecy of Jeremiah chapter 30 I think it is. And it speaks about the people that escaped the sword. They found grace in the wilderness. That's quite an unusual commodity. You would find a lot of things in the wilderness. You would find grit, and you would find hardship, you would find danger, bleakness, barrenness, wild animals, sharp precipices, caverns, caves, deep gorges, many things you would find in the wilderness But I can tell you it's a great thing if in the wilderness you would find grace. And when God took his people through the wilderness in ancient times, they certainly found it to be a discovery of repetitive and expanding grace. And things which no other people found in the wilderness, the redeemed people of the Lord found. As they took their journey with God towards the better land, he covered their pathway with abundant evidence of his grace. What about the grace of the special rain? In the wilderness you don't find rain, or at least it's very scarce. They had special rain every single day, as was promised. It wasn't the rain of water, it was the rain of bread. And what a shower of sustaining bread, which so profusely and plentifully came without intermission, the grace of the special rain, and it strengthened them and sustained them and preserved them and equipped them for every step and every stage of the journey. The grace of the rain, the grace of the river, In the wilderness. These people now discovered that their water didn't come from the sky, their water came from the ground. The bread didn't come from the ground, the bread came from the sky, and the water came from the earth. And he claimed the rocks, the waters streamed forth, and they gushed in rivulets so abundantly across the floor of the desert. And they drank. They not only ate that beautiful bread, and they drank that refreshing water, that rock that followed them, the water in the wilderness. What about the red heifer? Well, that was more great. If the rain satisfied them, the rain of bread satisfied them in the dearth of the wilderness. If the river satisfied them in the dryness, of the wilderness. What about the defilement of the wilderness? A place of dust and death. And if they are going to be contaminated, that will of course be a problem. And again, God's grace provided now the red heifer. And the ashes of that red heifer, as you know very well from the book of Numbers, provided the purification that was necessary along the wilderness. The wilderness is a place, of course, not only of dearth and dryness and defilement. The wilderness is a place of discouragement. And as you trudge your dreary way along the wilderness, mile after mile with that unappetizing landscape, it's very easy to become discouraged. In the wilderness, there can be many delays and many detours. And one particular time, when they seemed to be going round in a circle in the wilderness, the Bible tells us that the people, the soul of the people, became much discouraged because of the way. And not only did grace provide them with rain and with a river and with a red heifer, there was the raised serpent. And when they looked to that raised serpent, they were again, they were again infused with vigor and vitality, and they were encouraged to press on. And then, of all the grace, of all the grace which God gave to them, as they made their way on their pilgrimage pathway, there was a very special resident. God said, I'll tell you, I will not send you through the wilderness and say, I will meet you at the green grass of Canaan on the other side. He said, if you go through the wilderness I think so much of you as my redeemed people. I will go with you. And if you live in tents, I will live in a tent. And he said, that wilderness that can be very forbidding and hostile and very lonely and threatening, he said, I will be there as your provider, as your protector, as your shepherd, as your guide, as your king. And he said, I will just be there. And they had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness. I tell you, that was was a very, very special building. The likes of that building had never been seen in the wilderness of Sinai before. There it was in all its beauty, in all its brilliance. The house of gold erected on the desert sand. What a peace! Of exquisite construction it was. And God living with them. Not coming as a visitor. But dwelling there as a resident. You say this is better than the Garden of Eden. Oh. Well. Well of course that begs the question. Could anything be better than the Garden of Eden. Yes this is better. Here's a wilderness that is better than Eden. In this sense. In the Garden of Eden. With all its paradisical beauty. God was a visitor in the wilderness. God was a resident. He didn't come once a day or once in a while. He stayed there all day, every day, in this beautiful tabernacle of testimony in the wilderness. There was not another nation, none of those Bedouin tribes that from time to time skirted around the wilderness, not one of them had a dwelling place like this. Not one of them had a tabernacle of testimony constructed. Anywhere to equal this beautiful tabernacle of testimony in the wilderness. How do we get through the wilderness? We are now the Lord's redeemed people. And those advantages, those tokens of grace that I have just mentioned, we have the corresponding spiritual reality. And I'm thinking just now of the privilege which those people had to build something beautiful for God that sat as an exquisite jewel of the desert sand. And over against the bleakness of that desert landscape was this beautiful house of tapestry with its furniture and with its fabrics and with its framework. Everything just marvellous. What a privilege to be associated with building something like it. Of course we can build it Assembly. That's what helps us through the wilderness. From the day that God saved me, I appreciate the manna. Thank God for the sweetness of Christ. I appreciate the river and the indwelling Holy Spirit flowing and filling and flooding the believer's heart with joy and the celestial promise we appreciate the equivalence of the red heifer and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean and the cleansing power of the word of God and so on and so forth, we appreciate the assembly that's what helps us through we make our way across the spiritual barren desert of this world. You're greatly helped by the assembly Bible reading on Tuesday evening. Then you go back to your work on Wednesday. and Thursday's a difficult day, and you listen to the conversation and the dust and the dryness. And the diff- then you come to the assembly prayer on Thursday night. And again, again, this marvelous institution, this tabernacle of the divine presence that we know as the local assembly, that helps us on. Then you come to the weekend, special occasions of remembrance and instruction and that gives you a great commencement for another week and just as that ancient residence the tabernacle of testimony in the wilderness. Help the people move onward and forward and homeward to their ultimate dwelling. I say, dear Christians, that's what the local assembly means to us. It's a tabernacle of testimony. Now, the interesting thing that I would like to ask and explore a little bit, just for about twenty minutes or so now, a testimony to what? In this barren desert, these people constructed something that had a voice and it bore testimony and it told a story and it articulated a very clear witness. But a witness to what? What does the local assembly bear witness to? This institution, which is so important to us and helps us on our homeward Christian journey. An assembly is a vehicle of testimony. Testimony to what? Well, that's what we have to investigate and explore. This wonderful title, The Tabernacle of Glory. Yes. The tabernacle of the Shekinah, yes, but the tabernacle of the testimony in the wilderness, and what a testimony they told. In fact, if you go to Israel today, and you travel right down to the south of the land, uh, about 100 miles to the south of the Dead Sea, just there in the wilderness of the Copper Mines, in the Timna National Park, has been constructed a life-size Tabernacle. And quite an impressive little piece of work they tell me it is. And a t- it strikes you, you say, what is this? What is this? All around for miles you can see there and barren rocks. And then suddenly this unusual piece of construction and what is this and you ask questions because you've never seen the likes of this not in a city or on a beautiful mountain in the wilderness we should ask this here of the assembly and we see believers gathered in the name of the Lord Jesus functioning for his glory displaying the beauty of his character and in this bleak and barren wilderness where people are pursuing their own little agendas and earth, you say what is this what are these people What is this all about? What are they trying to say? This testimony of a congregation of Christians, what are they bearing witness to? Well, 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 that's what we have to ask. We've considered the table in the wilderness. And what a table was there. Now we consider the tabernacle in the wilderness and the testimony in the wilderness. Number one, I would say, this was a testimony to God's power. It never would have been built Had God not in mighty power stretched out his arm and brought a people out of Egypt and by the emancipation of his grace, a people have now been freed under the banner of the blood. They have been baptized through the water of the Red Sea, sustained by the bread from heaven and now they build the blueprint of this tabernacle, and it's only built because God saved them, and he gifted them with gifts of gold and silver, and as a result of their salvation and the gifts now they I tell you, you see every local assembly that is represented here this afternoon, every local assembly, none of them can exist apart from the fact that the mighty power of God worked in previous day. The gospel was preached Souls were saved. Lives were transformed. And we keep that in mind. That's what gives the assembly its value. And every company gathered to the name of the Lord Jesus and functioning in a biblical way, it's a testimony to the fact that God has operated. This is not an institution that has been produced by a few clever men or by a college of good organization. Each assembly has been produced by the mighty power There would have been no tabernacle of testimony in that ancient wilderness had not the power of God brought the people out from the bondage of Pharaoh so that they could build. The builders at the beginning of the book of Exodus become the bondmen at the beginning of Exodus become the builders at the end. So this tabernacle of testimony in the wilderness. Testimony to God's power. Second thing that it was a testimony to was God's preeminence. As I've already said, they dwelt in tents. The Lord said, "I live in a tent. I will accommodate myself as the great transcendent God of the universe." He said, "I will tra- accommodate myself." To journey with you on your pilgrim pathway and I will give you the luxury of my daily presence and what a luxury it was and he said but I'll tell you what he said your tent and my tent, he said there will be a difference between my tent and your tent in, a, in an Israelite tent, if you had gone into some of those tents, you would have seen a, well you would have seen maybe a little lump of king maybe a branch Maybe a little firebrand that was burning just to give them a little bit of light in their dwelling. You see when you went into God's tent, it was a beautiful, it wasn't just a branch, it was a golden tree. So it's on a different level, it's on the same level, in the sense that God's tent is just planted on the desert floor just like their tent but it's on a different level. you go to an Israelite's tent and he'll have a table that table will more or less more than likely it will consist of a piece of cloth spread on the floor so you say does God's tent have a table (laughs) oh it is a table and when you go into God's tent his table is not a piece of tapestry you look around at these beautiful fabrics and you say well right enough God is dwelling in a tent just like us but his tent is much more exquisite because he is the king we are the subjects in his kingdom, he is the king this tabernacle is the royal pavilion of his presence and there's a preeminent, I tell you dear Christians that's one thing that every assembly should bear on a testimony to And even a visitor coming along to any of the meetings of the local assembly, they would see this place exists because God's power has been operated. And secondly, they would see in this congregation of Christians, the Lord is absolutely preeminent. They give him a special place. They recognize his exalted status. They acknowledge his lordship, his royalty, his kingship. Everything about it, there's a dignity with it. You know, I can see in our day and age, there's this reductionistic attitude. And we try to bring the assembly down and make it as informal and as casual and as lax as we possibly can. And there's the downgrading of deity. I think, I think, dear believers, It would do us no harm. It wouldn't hurt us, as you would say, on this side of the Atlantic. if we try to put things in the opposite direction, and reach a little higher, and step up and realize that we are in the presence of the glorious Lord, and everything about our activity and our behavior. We do this at home, and this is what it's like in the ordinary social sphere. This is the presence of the exalted Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, everything is done with a little bit of dignity. Everything is done on a little bit of a higher level and we just keep that. It was the tabernacle of testimony in the wilderness and in that wilderness what a testimony to God's power, What a testimony to God's preeminence! Of course it was a testimony very special to God's presence and as I've emphasized already, the Lord said I will be there And he said, I will put my presence and I will meet you there. And that shekinah cloud that filled the tabernacle, we're also told that it covered the tabernacle. The presence of the Lord was not only the plenitude of the place, it filled it. The presence of the Lord was the protection of the place. It covered it. I suppose, I suppose that's something we do appreciate. When it comes to assembly testimony, dear believers, what gives the gatherings of the Lord's people their spiritual dignity and significance is just that within our hearts there is in a consciousness of the Lord's presence. Gather to, we sing it often, gather to thy name, Lord Jesus, losing sight of all but thee. Oh, what joy thy presence gives us Calling up our hearts to thee. Isn't it great to be in a meeting where the compelling sense of the Lord's presence is such that every carnal rest of aspiration within our souls is still? We're almost afraid to move. But the sense of reverence, even though the company is small, two or three gather together in my name. There am I in the midst of them. And God's presence becoming true. In fact, in fact, there's a very interesting evolution on this whole concept of the Lord's presence in the tabernacle in the wilderness. If you take, for example, take the end of the book of Exodus. You're reading those concluding chapters, uh, verses of chapter 40. And I've just been alluding to the Lord's presence filling the tabernacle and covering the tabernacle. Moses is standing outside, because the Lord has taken up his residence. Moses standing outside. Then you go to the book of Leviticus, and it tells us, the Lord spake unto Moses from the tabernacle of the congregation. Moses is still outside, and the Lord is speaking to Moses from. Then you go to the book of Numbers, and it says the Lord spake unto Moses in so Moses is standing outside, he can't go in then the Lord the book of speaks unto Moses from the inside, Moses is still out, but by the time you get to numbers, Moses has actually gone in, and God is speaking to Moses in it what a place it was, what a testimony to God's filling presence and to God's speaking presence I say, you're Christian that's why we have weekends like this. That's what makes an assembly gathering so special. I'm sure you have been a meetings and you did not have a shadow doubt that the Lord had spoken. Through his word in a very clear way, the presence of the Lord was such a reality that the glory of the Lord was seen and the voice of the Lord was heard and every heart was touched and I know that's what our dear brethren have been prayed for in this weekend not just the voice of men would articulate and vibrate through this building, but away in a deeper level, beneath, behind, above behind it all, the voice of the Lord may be heard, that's what gives assembly testimony, it's very identity and caring, it's a place where God speaks his people listen, and they rejoice they rejoice just in the worth and the wealth and the wonder and the wisdom of his we're a testimony to the Lord's uh, a testimony to the Lord's preeminence in this golden tent. A testimony to the Lord's presence. A testimony to the Lord's, uh, what else will I say? What else did this tent bear witness to in the wilderness? I'll tell you what it did. It more testimony to the Lord's pattern. Because when they built this tabernacle, of course, we all understand that if God is going to live here, he will have the liberty to dictate the specification. He doesn't say to Moses, Moses, I tell you, make a couple of rooms. See what you think. Adjust them, just it. He said, You'll make rooms, Moses, and that will be the size of this one. Breath, then height, you make another room, this one. You'll make a courtyard there's been this size so many cubits and everything so God has been put up and I think it's maybe something like 18 times in the last two chapters of Exodus so that we don't miss the point no vain repetition in the Bible it says such and such was done as the Lord commanded Moses such and such was done as the Lord commanded Moses as the Lord commanded Moses such and such was done as Moses thought was best such and such was done as Aaron suggested Never what, never what Moses thought was best. Never what Aaron suggested. Eighteen times as the Lord commanded And when it all was done according to God's pattern, God said thank you. He said, now I live with you. Because you have built it according to my pattern, he said, I will live in it. You ask an architect to build a house for you. He does it according to the pattern. Then you go to live in it to express your satisfaction with the work that has been completed. And when the Lord took up residence in that ancient tabernacle. He was expressing his total approval of the obedience of his people. Some tell him that there is no such thing as a pattern for the New Testament assembly. Well of course I have heard that and you have heard it. You don't believe everything you do. God had a pattern for the ark. God had a pattern for the tabernacle. God had a pattern for the temple. Very detailed specification. And I suspect, I suspect, God being the consistent God that he is, if he had a pattern for all of these institutions of his dwelling in the Old Testament, it's highly likely, the balance of probabilities are that he will have a pattern for the New Testament assembly. And I say, dear Christians, every assembly here, all our dear brethren. May the Lord help us all. That if anyone comes in and observes the functions of the local congregation, they will immediately be impressed here and people. And they take very seriously what the Lord commands. And their meetings, and their appearance, the head covering with the women, the long hair, all of those things reflect that these people are diligently obedient to what the Lord has commanded. And there's a pattern here, there's an order. This is not something that is random and tabernacle of testimony. In the wilderness, God's presence, His preeminence, His power, His precepts, and His pattern, His people. Well, of course, that was another great, even even impressed old Balaam. And he looked upon. He looked out across the desert from one of his mountain vantage points, and they could see all the tents arranged so beautifully, everything aligned. And right in the middle of the encampment was this strange tabernacle, and there they were, the tribes just all around. It was at the center. It became the focus of their attention. The 12 tribes beside him, God told them, he said, you pitch there, you go there, you go there, you go there. He said, but I don't like to live beside him. I don't like that tribe. So God said, you'll go there, there, there. So that God told them where to sit in relation to, it was the center of their focus. It was also the center of their fellowship. I think, I think we can learn this here. It's a great thing when believers make the assembly the focus of their life. I see a lot of younger believers here and I want to give you a little piece of advice. You make the assembly the center of your heart's affections. Build up the assembly. Put your spiritual energies into the assembly. Let it be the focus and the fellowship of your life. And that great building in the wilderness it gave all those tribes their place. They weren't just going through the wilderness As a kind of an amorphous group of a couple of million people just rambling here and there and bumping into each other and hardly knowing where to settle, where to sit. God told them, "Put them in the middle, then you pick it round." I say to your Christian, if you want your life to have rhythm and shape, and if you want your life to have structure, I say do your best to give the assembly a place of centrality. I have seen many people in my little lifetime and they allow the assembly to become off-center very quickly their lives become disorganized they lose a sense of direction they lose a sense of spiritual orientation sometimes they sacrifice the assembly on the altar of education sometimes they sacrifice the assembly on the altar of recreation sometimes they sacrifice God's dwelling place on the altar of worldly progress on the corporate ladder. I say, dear Christian, whatever you use and sacrifice the interests of the assembly for the advantage of that, I, I'm i suspicious. I'm suspicious that the time may come you will live to regret decisions and have to testimony to God's people and their fellowship. Ah. You say, was there anything else? Well, this great building that I'm speaking about, of course, a very very clear testimony to God's purity it's white everywhere you couldn't help if you had been coming from a distance in this bare wilderness with it's sandstone just everywhere it's light brown sandstone you would certainly have been pulled up short by this impressive solid wall of white two meters tall stretching right along each of the three sides and more of this building even white linen inside and everything that's something that we should have a great concern about in assembly Sunday testimony that we may keep white linen I speak softly there is nothing well I don't want to exaggerate. I'll just qualify it slightly. There is hardly anything I know of that so weakens and diminishes the testimony of the local assembly like dirty linen. And where the linen of purity has been compromised, testimony is weakened. And the tongues of the Gentiles can talk. But I say, God said, this is a holy place. This is holy of holies. you see all the white linen? He said, This is the holy lamp. This is the holy table. Even the priest had holy unto the Lord inscribed upon his forehead. In an unclean word. We've been reminded about it already, and I don't want to overstress it. Dear Christian, may the Lord help us. The bottom line is this, every assembly here, may God grant that each company will be a very clear testimony in a polluted world in a world where sexuality has now become the new goddess of life and where people profane their bodies at the shrine of sexual liberty may God grant in a society like that that every local assembly will be a clear testimony to the purity of God's testimony well, it was a tabernacle of testimony. That great title. You can follow that title through the book of Numbers especially. The book of Numbers in the Bible is the wilderness book. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew Old Testament, the name for Numbers is the Bar. That means in the wilderness. We call it Numbers in our English Bible. But in the Old Testament's Mit in the wilderness. And in that wilderness book of Numbers, the Tabernacle of Testimony, that's the title that is given to the tabernacle because it bore testimony to those very features that I have distributed. Thank God for that wonderful testimony. Thank God for the testimony of the assembly in the present time. Two things maybe I'll just mention and conclude. It was also a testimony to God's presentation. You know, God worked with pictures in the tabernacle. And he presented a twofold picture. First of all, there was a picture of things above. And then there was a picture of things ahead. As to the picture of things above, God said, it's a picture of this tabernacle in the wilderness. It's a witness, it's a testimony to a place above. And he said it's also a pictogram, a pictorial representation of a person ahead. And he said, it points in two directions. This bifurcation, it points to heavenly things above and it points ahead to a Christ who is coming. And he said, that's why, that's why it's a very special place because it's very double-testable it. It's just like a little replica of heaven and earth. And it's also a clear embodiment of Christ. Nothing to say. You that's see, that's, that's nothing to do with the local assembly. Your little parallel seems to break down there. The local assembly is not a little piece of heaven upon earth. Are you sure? That's exactly what the Lord intends. The Lord intends the beauty and the order and the spirituality and the harmony and the praise and the worship and the atmosphere of the local assembly should just be a reflection of heaven that is above our head. Heaven on earth and it should also be a clear pointer in the local assembly it should be a clear pointer to the glorious person not a person who is coming in incarnation. he already has come and thank god that's the great purpose of testimony just to point with an unequivocal finger to the glorious person of the lord jesus In his deity, in his humanity, in his sacrificial death, in his resurrection power, all of those things. You've heard those great addresses on the tower. It was the tabernacle of testimony. A place of divine portrayal, pointing above and pointing ahead. Finally, finally, I may just say that. It also was a witness to God's program. You you might ask me, what does God have in mind? It's always good to keep in mind the, the large picture. You say, what is God giving us anyway? What is the ultimate of all this program that we hear the brethren preach about? And when all the dispensations have run their course, and uh, when the tapestry of time has been cut off from the loom of history and we step across the boundary line into that great eternal world and there's a new eternal economy unveiled. what does God have in mind? well we are told what he has in mind in the book of Revelation chapter 21 you listen to this great declaration of God in the new order of the eternal world you know what he said he said behold the tabernacle of God with men and he said I will dwell with them And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And what he was doing in the wilderness, in the small scale of the wilderness, is what he's going to do in the large scale of an eternal universe. When his presence will not be limited to a small section of time and space. His presence will be all pervasive throughout the eternal cosmos. And God said, I was giving a little miniature in that tabernacle of the wilderness of the big picture that is yet to come. I'm inclined to think. I'm inclined to think, dear believers. When we gather in assembly testify God is giving us a little four You see that little company that you have? Twelve members. Three elderly sisters in their 90s. Couple of teenagers. Just a small, simple little group. Con- you say, it's a very negligible little group. It's just out on the margins of civilization. It doesn't count for very much. It doesn't matter. It's a way off. No, the- oh, no, 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 no. The local assembly is not off at the end. It's not something tangential to God's work. The local assembly is on that great line, that continuum. The tabernacle in the Old Testament, then the temple, then the Lord Jesus. Now the local assembly right until the tabernacle of God dwells with men in that eternal order of Revelation 21 dear Christians, the local assembly is not a little side issue that's just something pushed off to the edge, it's right on the direct line of God's program for the everlasting future, I say as we go away from the conference, may God help us to appreciate all the more, you know what surprises me this is a very say you shouldn't finish on it Negative, but our brother, our brother, Vermont's uh, going to tell us how to preach here in half an hour. This is one of the rules, I'm going to break it. They say you shouldn't finish it, a right? uh, uh, uh. Do you see what they had this beautiful tabernacle at Boxing? Some of them were working with the Weed tabernacle of Molek on the side. We just said, why did they need the tabernacle of Molek? When they had the tabernacle of Moses, why haven't we used you on this? God said, I'm discussing with you. He said, I gave you the power for the tabernacle. And he said, you are playing little games with idolatrous shrines on the side. I say, dear Christian, if we have God's assembly in the Bible, why do we dabble with alternative traditions that have no biblical foundation? May God help us to love, love, the dwelling place more and more. And that it be the tabernacle. Testimony and deliverance. And the Lord help us to put more into it.